morning, church. If you have a copy of God's Word, I'm going to invite you to turn with me this morning to Mark's Gospel, the fourth chapter. Mark's Gospel, chapter 4, specifically verses 35 through 41. We do welcome all of our DMA participants. We welcome the family members and friends that are here this morning. Uh, Dawson members, can we give another warm welcome to our guests that are here with us this morning? What a, what a wonderful, wonderful expression of worship that we were able to see through your sons and daughters and grandchildren and friends and nieces and nephews that were here before us leading us in worship. We're, as a church, we're walking through the gospel of Mark. So the passage that is before us is the next passage that comes to us. Mark chapter 4, verses 35 through 41, as we continue in our study in the gospel of Mark. I don't know if you have seen this movie. I haven't seen this movie, nor am I recommending this movie for you to go see. But many of you know that the horror classic, The Invisible Man, has been remade. And we're about two to three weeks into it. And I haven't seen it, but I know it. I mean, I know the movie. You know the movie. Going back to early 1930s as the first incarnation we've had of The Invisible Man. And it really kind of preys upon one of the most basic of human instincts, and that is the fear of the unknown, the fear of the unseen, the fear of what lurks around the corner. Now, now none of you in this room are, are fearful of sort of this um, ominous, invisible man character, but, but we are at times fearful of the invisibility of the unknown, the invisibility of the what-ifs. What if? Around the corner of life, what we never saw coming would, would actually happen. What, what if we get that call in the middle of the night that no parent wants to receive? What if the doctor calls us in the middle of the day and says, your scans have come back and I need you to come in for another consultation? What if? What if our boss calls us into her office and says, you have done a wonderful job for the last decades, but I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but we are having to downsize. What if? What if you take that step of faith and you fail? What if, what if, and what if? And at times we can be paralyzed not only by the fears of what is known around us, what we read in the papers, what we see in the breaking headline news of 24-7 news reports, but oftentimes what can be most paralyzing to us is what lurks around the corner that we do not know, the what-ifs of the future. How do we face the, the myriad of endless possibilities? How, how do we face the myriad of what-ifs in your life? How do we face life when the what-ifs become what now? What do we do now? Now that we've received the diagnosis, now that we're facing this financial difficulty, what happens when the what-ifs becomes what-nows? Where do we go in the face of our fears? Every one of us in this sanctuary have to answer that question. What do we do with the fear inside of us? Where do we turn? Mark chapter 4 verses 35 through 41, is a wonderful passage for every one of us in this room that know what it is to fear. 
read along with me. On the screens or in your copy of God's Word, starting in verse 35 of Mark 4. On that day, when evening had come, he, being Jesus, said to them, Let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. This is Jesus. And the other boats were with Jesus. They were with the disciples. A great windstorm arose, and the waves were breaking into the boat, so that the boat was already filling with water. But he, Jesus, was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, Peace, be still. And the wind ceased, and there was a great calm. And Jesus said to them, Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled. The disciples were filled with great fear and said to one another, Who then is this? that even the wind and the sea obey him. Is there another gospel account that is more cinematic than this? Well, of course, the resurrection, of course, the crucifixion. But, but don't you, as you read this chapter, feel the wind howling in the, howling in the, in the night? Don't you, as you read this passage, feel the rain upon your brow? Don't you hear the sounds of the boat creaking and being tossed to and fro? There is something cinematic about this passage. Something unique about this passage. It's unique. It's one of the stories in the gospel that is repeated in what's known as the synoptic gospels. Matthew, Mark, Luke oftentimes overlap with one another. Matthew oftentimes expands Mark's accounts. Oftentimes Luke adds details under inspiration of the Holy Spirit to Mark's account. Mark is a journalist that gives us the facts and the facts only, but not here. Mark gives us more details than Matthew does. Mark gives us more details than Luke does. Mark expands this story, almost as an eyewitness teller of the story, right? The details are unique to his rendering. Uh, there are some of them. That he tells us the time of the day. We didn't know it from Matthew and Luke, but we know it's evening from verse 35. We know that there the are other boats that are present alongside of them from verse 36. We know that the boat is taking on water from verse 37. The other accounts certainly tell us that Jesus was asleep, but we have Jesus not only asleep in Mark's account, but Jesus is snoozing, he is sound asleep, and he's comfortable because he has a cushion. It's a unique detail here. Mark tells us uniqueness of this story here in a way that intersects with your life and it intersects with my life. If you're a part of Dawson and you're a part of our church family, you've heard that during this Lenten season, we're walking through a Lenten devotional guide as we walk through Luke's gospel. This week, our own church member, Betsy Lauer, has done a wonderful devotional reflection upon Luke's account of this story. And I encourage you, I encourage you to allow God to speak to you. I know he will through that reflection. Right next to our devotional account is this painting here, this painting of Rembrandt. It's a unique painting in many ways. 17th century painter, um, one of these, the, the only one that we have of this was actually stolen, and they still don't know where um, this painting is, actually. And if you go to the art gallery where it was stolen from, the, um, the frame is there and it's empty, still waiting to be returned 20 years later. 
Count the, count the disciples. I know it's hard to do that, but, but count the disciples. Count the number of people that are in the boat along with the disciples here. You'll get 12 disciples if you got close and you looked. You'll have a 13th person being Jesus. But uniquely, there's 14 people on this boat. Who's the, who's the mysterious 14th person? Uh, most art historians will tell us that Rembrandt has given uh, us himself. He has painted himself in this painting, it is a, a self-portrait of Rembrandt closest to Jesus. Now, of course, he's taking artistic license. Of course, the 17th century painter was not actually in the boat. But if you listen closely to the sound of the waves and you feel the emotion of this passage, you'll realize that Rembrandt was right. He was in the boat because we're all in the boat. You don't have to live in the first century to know what it is to face storms in life. You don't have to be in proximity to the Sea of Galilee to know what it is to be in the midst of life and the boat of your life be tossed to and fro. And so yes, Rembrandt was in the boat because I'm in the boat, you are in the boat. And how we face the fears of life is the ultimate question. In the midst of your fear, in the midst of my fear, Jesus tells us two words, and those two words are fear not. Well, why, Jesus? Why do we not have to fear when the waves are ominous, when the wind is howling? How do we not fear? Well, first, this morning, I want you to, to trust in the word of God that Jesus is with us in the storms of life. In verses 35 through 36, we discover that the disciples are with Jesus when the storm breaks out. Now, this is not a surprise. The Sea of Galilee was positioned in such a way that it was 700 feet below sea level, which meant it was surrounded not only by hills, but also mountains. So you have this unique place where warm air would consistently rise and would meet cold upper air coming off of the mountains, coming off of the hills. And so the storm breaks out, and it breaks out in the evening. This oftentimes then, and certainly even now, there's tempestuous weather patterns right around the Sea of Galilee, and the majority of the disciples were fishermen. So this isn't their first rodeo here. I mean, this isn't the first time that they have faced ominous waves. But their reaction gives us a little bit of, of what their fear is. They thought that they were going to die. So this is not a normal storm for them. This is sort of a George Clooney perfect storm for these disciples here. Where is Jesus in the midst of our storm? Now notice with me, the disciples aren't called in a storm because they disobey Jesus. Jesus didn't huddle them together after he's taught and he's healed and say, okay, I know you might want to go over to the other side here, but I've got a hunch that tonight this is not a good night to get in a boat, so whatever you do, don't cross to the other side. He did not say that. Actually, the only reason that the disciples are called in a storm is because they've obeyed Jesus. They're with Jesus, doing what Jesus told them to do, and you need to hear this. If you are a follower of Jesus, you can be in the center of God's will and still face the wind of financial difficulty that threatens to capsize your life. You can be in the center of God's will, not running from God, but running to God, and a wave of disease can crash down upon the stern of your family's life. Now, of course, there are times when 
God utilizes storms to bring his followers back into his will. They're one of the most famous storm story in the Bible is the story of a really reluctant missionary. His name was Jonah. God gives him an itinerary, go to Nineveh to preach, repent or perish, to the citizens of Nineveh. Guess what Jonah does? Well, he doesn't like the Assyrians. He's fearful of the Assyrians. He knows that if he preaches repent, they might actually repent. And the last thing that he wants God to do to these people is to actually forgive them. So he goes... And instead of getting on the boat, going to Nineveh, he trades in his ticket, and he gets a one-way ticket going to Tarshish, which is in the exact opposite direction of where God calls him to go. A storm breaks out on the sea. All of the passengers are able to put it together. I think we know why this storm is happening. They throw this reluctant missionary overboard. God says, I'm going to give you a first-class escort in the belly of a great fish, and I'm going to spit you up on the very place that I called you to go to. And that is what he does. God uses a storm to be able to bring this reluctant prophet into the very center of his will. But not every storm, not every storm, Not every storm is a sovereign meteorological intervention in your life and in my life. Not not every storm that you face, not every storm that I face is God saying you're going in the wrong direction. I've got to course correct here. Not every bumpy ride on the sea of life is a result of your disobedience. Storms come in the midst of even obedience. It's surprising to people. 20 years of serving as a pastor, one of the frequent disappointments of life is when storms come and someone might say, I don't understand why God has allowed this to happen. I've tried to serve him. I've tried to lead my family. We've been at church. We've wanted to do for God, and he's allowing this to happen. But no, if you are a follower of him, your obedience and relationship with Jesus doesn't equal immunity to life's calamity. He told the disciples this. In John chapter 16, verse 33, in this world, you will have tribulation. But take heart, because I've overcome the world. What is the hope in the midst of the storms of life? Our hope is that Jesus is with us. He has not left us. He has sent, if you're a follower of him, he has sent the Holy Spirit that is with you to provide you peace even in the midst of the storms of life. So fear not because Jesus is with us in the storms of life. But secondly, this morning, fear not because Jesus is our peace through the storms of life. Verses 37 through 38, I love the details that Mark has here. The boat is filling with water. They are going to die. They say, somebody needs to find Jesus. Where is Jesus? They find Jesus, and he is asleep. Now, notice the intimacy of the details here. It isn't that just Jesus is asleep, but he is so comfortable. He is snoozing. He has a cushion. I mean, you see a Jesus here that is so foreign from our understanding. Now, it tells us something. It tells us, one, he's fully God, but he's also fully man. 
So he's healed people, he's taught, and what does him sleeping mean? It means he's tired. He's not the energizer bunny. And you're not either. It's a sad truth, but it's an important truth. You need rest. The Son of God, the incarnate Son of God needed rest. So how much more so would you need rest? He left crowds. He went to the other side. There was more that he could have done, and he pauses, and he rests, and he sleeps. How many other times in the Gospels does Jesus sleep? Five times, right? Ten other times in the Gospels, right? Any takers on ten? Maybe 15 times? Do you know how many other times in the Gospels that we have an account of Jesus' sleep? Never. Zero. Look at the irony of this. The only time that Jesus sleeps is the time when the disciples can't sleep because they're so fearful that they're going to lose their life. Now this, this is hopeful. Now I know you don't think it is, but the, the, the best thing that the disciples could find in the midst of the storm is a Jesus who can sleep in the midst of the storm. The best thing that can comfort us is that the storms of life do not make our sovereign Savior anxious. There are no breaking news reports in heaven. The God, the Father, the Holy Spirit, and the Trinity have to, the, God, the, the, the Trinity has to gather together in this corporate conference room to say, what are we going to do about what just happened yesterday? You remember when you were a little kid, maybe you're four years old or you're five years old, it's, it's, it's that moment in life where you realize that there are things that you need to be fearful of. You don't teach yourself to do that. It's just embedded in you. Maybe you're five, maybe you're six. You wake up and you wait, you're just wide awake. You look into the corner and something is in the corner of the room. You don't know what it is, but you know it's not good. You hear something. You don't know what that sound is, but it sounds like the creaking of somebody walking outside of your room in the hallway. So you, in that moment as a five-year-old, you slowly pull the cover off because you don't want to draw the attention of whatever's in the side of the room right there. And you begin to just creep out of your bed and you get to the hallway and you just run as fast as you can. You bust through your parents' door room there and you say, Mom, Dad, wake up. Something's in my room. There's a monster in my room. And what do they do in that moment? They wake up and they say, Oh, no! Not again! Get out of the house! Every man for themselves here. Now, and they scatter. No, your parents don't do that. Your parents are not fearful in that moment. If you are the first child in your family, what your parents did, if you're the third child or the fourth child, it, what, what happens is your parents said, go back to bed, it's okay. <laughs> but when your parents were young and they didn't have, you know, they had you to focus on, they took you by the hand, they said, come on, honey, walked you into the bedroom, and said, no, there's nothing in the corner of the room. That's just the shadow casting off that tree branch there. Oh, what did you hear? Let, let's listen for it again. Oh, I heard what you heard. That's just the sound of the ice maker. Everything is okay. When you are a child and you're fearful 
and you come into your parents' room, the best thing that you can see is them sound asleep. Not calling 911, not gathering the baseball bat out of the closet, but completely oblivious to what you're fearful of. Jesus is sound asleep because he doesn't fear. Jesus is sound asleep because he knows everything is okay. Jesus is sound asleep because he knows that he is sovereign. He's in control. He knows that nothing is going to occur to those the disciples without his ultimate permission. And so it is in your life and in my life. When you are in Christ, he is your peace. That no matter the storms of life that beat upon the, the stern of the boat of your life, no matter if you're tossed and fro, that he is your peace. That the Holy Spirit and the word of God tells us that he provides us a peace that passes all understanding. And we need that peace because the waves are ominous. We need that peace because the winds are howling upon us. We need that peace because it's really dark and we need God to pass our understanding. Because all around us, the boat is filling. But when the boat is being filled with water, Jesus is sound asleep. Fear not. Jesus is our peace in the midst of the storms. Fear not. Jesus is with us in the midst of the storms. And finally this morning, as a Christian, as a follower of Jesus, fear not because Jesus is sovereign over every storm that you will face. Do you know this? That here's your relationship to storms. You're either passing through a storm, you're in a storm, or you're headed to a storm. Storms are either past tense in our life, they're present tense in our life, or they're future tense in our life. We either have come through a storm, in the midst of a storm, or headed to a storm. But storms are inevitable for every follower of Jesus, and that is why it is so comforting to know that Jesus is sovereign over the storms of our lives. Notice that Jesus waits. He comes out. He says three words that you find in verses 39 through 40. Right there, he says, peace, be still. Peace, be still. Notice in verse 39, Jesus rebuked the wind, and it calmed the wind. He rebuked the storm, and it silenced the storm. That word rebuke in the English translations of our Bible, it's only used two other times prior to Mark chapter 4. And every time that it was used was when Jesus said to a demon-possessed person, get out. Jesus rebuked the demon. And what that word means is that Jesus is sovereign, he is king, he is Lord, even over the spiritual, even over the supernatural. And now Jesus uses that same word, he rebuked the wind. It's Mark's way of saying that even the sea, even the waves, even the wind answers to this person, the Son of God. Now, you understand this, the sea is ominous. I mean, with all of the nautical transformation that has occurred in 2,000 years of life, we still have tragedies like the Titanic. I mean, you, you can be at sea and it not be a good thing. Well, just imagine how perilous it was to be at sea in the ancient Near Eastern world, how perilous it was to be at sea in that Greco-Roman world. 
The sea throughout the Bible, it represents the unknown. It represents chaos. It represents fear. And so when Jesus says, peace, be still, the disciples look at him and say, who is this? If, if he has control even over the sea, we didn't know what we were getting into. It's one way that Jesus shows the disciples who he is. He is God incarnate because only God can say to the sea, peace, be still. The disciples, in the midst of the contrast between the howling of the wind, roaring of thunder there on the Sea of Galilee, it is completely silent, and they are afraid in this moment. And there's a part of us that has to say, as Jesus asked them, why are you so afraid? Do you still have no faith? We can imagine, if we we're sort of empathetic to the disciples, we can imagine their response. Come on, Jesus. Give us a little bit of a break here. Do you remember the boat was sinking? The waves were so high. The water was filling up in the boat here. The wind was howling through us here. We were going to die. Of course we were afraid. What should be our response other than fear? And here Jesus is pressing upon the disciples then, and he's stretching us now around one of the deepest aspects of our relationship to him. Who do you trust in the storms of life? Do you trust that God is sovereign even in the storms? Do you trust that God is in control even in the storms? Do you trust that God has not abandoned you even in the storm of tragedy? Do you trust that God is with you even during the storm of disappointment? Do you trust that God is in control, that God is Lord, that he is master, and that he is sovereign even over the storms of false hopes, false steps, and heartache? That this passage here, it invites us to rest, to rest in the fact that no matter how ominous the waves are, that with Jesus we do not have to be afraid because he is sovereign over the storms of life. This means that you can trust him. You can trust him when it's dark. You can trust him when it's windy. You can trust him when the boat of your marriage is being blown around. You can trust him when the boat of parenting is being blown around. You can trust him when the boat of financial security is being blown around. We can trust him. Why? Because his word is true. He works all things together for those that love him and are called according to his purpose. His word is true so we can trust him that he'll never leave us nor forsake us. We can trust him that neither death nor life nor angels nor demons nor anything present nor future, nor powers, nor height, nor death, nor anything else will separate you, follower of Jesus, from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. This means no storm can separate you from the love of God. Do you know that? Do you know, no matter how ominous a storm is, no storm can blow you off the map of God's love. No matter how difficult a storm is, no, no storm can cast you away outside of the search party of the Holy Spirit. So trust him even when the wind howls. Trust him even when the waves break. Trust him even when they beat down upon your life because know this, child of God, that our Savior 
has walked through the perfect storm to give us faith even in the midst of fear. That, that Jesus himself knows what it is for the waves to beat down. Jesus knows what it is for the winds to howl. He knows what it is to look into the eye of storm, the storm of death itself, and say in that moment, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. Do you remember in the Garden of Gethsemane, if you know the story, it's a reversal of this story. It's in this moment that he looks to the disciples in his greatest need, and what were they doing? They were asleep in the Garden of Gethsemane. It might as well be that we give them a bunch of cushions so they can sleep soundly through the night. And there it was, Jesus, heartache, anguish, pain, knowing that the wave of sin would cast down upon him, knowing that the wind of death would breathe over him. And in that moment, he says, not my will, but thy will be done. And through him and his work facing the greatest storm that any person could ever face, the weight of sin being placed upon him, and the great news that God the Father said to his son, peace be still on the third day, he was raised to walk. And eternally before us gives us hope when we say yes to the free gift of salvation. But if you are a follower of Jesus, although waves are around us, and waves are behind us, and waves are before us, what Jesus promises is an eternal destination where this is sure. There are no more storms. Do you know no matter how difficult the storm that you're facing is, it is not permanent. It's not permanent. John, the writer of the Revelation, the last book in the Bible, the next to last chapters, chapter 21, he has this behind-the-scenes view of what the new heaven and the new earth is going to look like, what followers of Jesus are going to experience forevermore. And notice what John sees. Listen to the words. You see it on the screen here. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And notice what's not there in the sea was no more. There are no more waves. There's no more chaos. There's no more pain. There's no more tragedy. There's no more unseen what-ifs and what-nows because the sea was no more. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with me and with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And he will do this for you. He will wipe away every tear from your eye, and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. I lived in Birmingham with my wife, Danielle, for three years, from 2001 to 2004. We came back. It would be three years this summer. And it's interesting what doesn't change in a community like the metro Birmingham area. Some of the things that we were looking forward to seeing again, uh, when we were here, there were storms that would pass through. I mean, we live in a place, and we're reminded of that as we continue to pray for those that have suffered loss uh, in Tennessee, especially in the Nashville area. We understand that, that we need to heed and we need to hear good meteorologists. And I want to tell you, uh, my, my favorite weatherman, my favorite weather person is James Spam. I put a lot of trust in James Spam. This is a man who is good at his job. 
He is a man that I, I put some trust in from 01 to 04. I like him. He seems to love what he does. He takes it seriously. He loves the state. He loves the safety of people. He's a follower of Jesus from what I've heard. When James Spann takes off his coat, and you can see the suspenders, I'm getting a football helmet. I'm going into the basement here. I mean, we just know, we know how this works here. And any meteorologist who's a follower of Jesus, they're going to be with us in heaven. But they're going to be unemployed in heaven. No need for a daily weather forecast. Because every day, the angels of glory tell us what we need to hear now. The forecast is this, peace. Be still. Let us pray. We want to live into your words, Jesus. There's some of us in this room that are in the midst of a storm, and we need to know we're not alone in that storm. That you're sovereign even over the uncertainty that's all around us. We can't see before the darkness that is in front of us. We don't know where all the tossing to and fro is going to lead us. We feel as if we're going to be shipwrecked on the rocks of life. But we choose faith. We choose you. We choose to believe this morning what your word tells us, that you're with us in the storm, that you're our peace in the storm that you're sovereign over the storms. And, and while the winds howl, the waves crash, we know today it is not our tomorrows. We know that there's a day to come and we long for that day where there is no more sea. There's no more chaos. There's no more storms. There's an eternal peace, an eternal calm. Let us experience even today in the eye of life's storms the peace that only you can provide. Peace that passes all understanding. We pray this in the name of your Son, God, our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen and amen.